We're continuing our series on questions that the gospel answers. I believe we're on question number five. We uh, are moving right along. Today we're going to be answering the question, the gospel, which one? Which gospel? You know, Paul said that I am not ashamed of the gospel because in it is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first and then the, the Greek, the Gentile. So whatever, the gospel, if the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, we need to know what the gospel is. And as you read the New Testament, especially if you're in the King James, King Jimmy Bible, when you get to Matthew, right on the top it says the gospel according to Matthew. And then as you get to that, you get to, to Mark, and it says the gospel according to Mark. And then after that, you get the gospel according to Luke. And then you get to the gospel according to John. So there's four gospels right there. And then you read about Paul, uh, Paul saying, talking about his gospel. In Romans, in Romans 16, 25, it says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. So there must be five gospels. But wait, there's more. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So there's the gospel of, of your salvation. And then Ephesians 15, it says, um, The preparation of the gospel of peace. So there's the gospel of peace the Bible talks about. And then in 1 Timothy 1.11, it says, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. So there's a gospel of the blessed God. In Revelations, you get to the end in Revelations chapter 14, verse 6, it says, And I saw another angel flying mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. So you got all these different gospels, or do you? I'm sure that you come to understanding that all these different gospels is really just different titles for the one gospel. The one gospel. And what is that one gospel? What is the one gospel? What is the gospel that, that Paul preached? Paul called it the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says, Yet I consider life of no importance to me, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to bear witness to the gospel of God's grace. The gospel of God's grace. Paul dedicated his life to testifying of God's grace. But what is the gospel of grace? See, we all, we all have heard the word the gospel, right? But do we really know what the gospel is? It means to proclaim. It means good news. The proclamation of good news. So what is this proclamation of good news? It's the good news of what God has done. And I'm, going to get, I'm getting ahead of myself right now, but I'll give you a little key right off the bat here. If it's a proclamation of the good news of what God has done, you don't belong in it anywhere. It's not the good news, the proclamation of what you must do. It's of what God has done. So as soon as you put you into the story, guess what? It just became bad news. Because if we had any part to do with the gospel, we'd screw it up. It's all what God has done. Here's how one writer describes the grace. He says, grace is the love of God reaching down and gathering you into his arms. Grace is the confident assurance that with God on your side, you can't lose. Grace is his strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Grace is the end of religion. Grace is the freedom from the unholy need to prove yourself. Grace is divine permission to be who God made you to be. Grace is good. This is how we define it on our, on our website. Charis is the Greek word for grace. So on our website, we say charis is the merciful love and grace by which God turns us to Christ, forgives us, keeps us and strengthens us, and increases us in the blessings and inheritance of those who are in faith, in the faith of Jesus Christ. 
Grace is much bigger than we've, what we've, we've been led to believe. Grace isn't just part of the blessings of God. It is the blessings of God. It's all by His grace. Those who say that grace is one of God's blessings, they show their ignorance. And I think we've all been there before. The grace is not, not one of the blessings. It's all of His blessings all in one. Because all of His blessings come through Jesus Christ. All of His blessings come by Jesus' works, not your works. And to me, that sounds like good news. Grace is heaven's cure for the world's woes. It's the power of God that turns sinners into saints and haters into lovers. Can we testify to that? Grace raises the dead and heals the sick. Grace gives strength to the weak and the power to the feeble. Grace is God's provision. It is his very presence. As you go through the, the, the Old Testament... What caused the nation of Israel to prosper? What caused Abraham to prosper? God's presence. God's presence caused them to prosper. And during the Old Testament, it was based on the law. And in the law, if you didn't follow all his commandments, his presence pulled back from you. In the, in the law... Thank God they had the sacrifices that they could sacrifice and put their faith in that atonement to be made right with God. But the good news of the, of the gospel, the New Testament, is that God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Luke one twenty eight. The angel went to her and said, this is the angel declaring unto Mary that... Uh, that you, so we're going to even use some scriptures that you're only supposed to use during Christmas time. That she was going to be pregnant with a child, and she had not known a man. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And what Mary learned, and we are still trying to learn today, is that we are highly favored because the Lord is with you. Every situation... Just get ready. This is going to go a long day. Every situation that you go into, every situation, every problem, every situation, you can either go into it through in faith or you can go into it without unbelief. You can go into the situation. I don't care what storm you're going into, what problem you're going into, you can go into it saying, the Lord is with me, or you can say that I am alone in this battle. Amen. And if you go into that, that storm or that, that problem, that situation thinking, I, it's only me. It's only by what I can do. It's by my own strength. Chances are you're going to fail. But if you go in that, there knowing that I have the favor of the Lord on me, when you go into your job, your workplace, I don't care how the people act in that workplace. I don't care if the boss likes you or doesn't like you. You have the favor of the Lord on you. We all have the favor of the Lord on us. How do we know? Because the Lord said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. He's not against us, but he's for us. Jesus is proof of this. God sent us his son to demonstrate his love and favor towards us. John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. We come to the realization of God's true nature, and that this true nature is that of grace. Jesus is grace personified. Jesus is Mr. Grace. Grace isn't a doctrine. Grace is not a doctrine. It is a person. It's the gospel. The gospel is a person. It's a proclamation of a person. Amen. And that person is Jesus Christ. If you want to know what grace is like, look at Jesus. He is the very image of grace. What does grace, the grace of God look like? It looks like Jesus. What does the grace of God sound like? It sounds like Jesus. How do we know that God is gracious? Because he gave us Jesus, who is full of grace and truth. The grace of God is revealed in many ways, but it's ultimately revealed in his son Jesus. Jesus is grace, and grace is Jesus. The gospel of God's grace is the gospel, and there is no other. For a graceless gospel would be no gospel at all. Grace is what makes the good news good news. Amen. 
When Paul refers to the gospel of grace in Acts chapter 20, he means the same thing as when he and others refer to the gospel of Christ or the gospel of God or the gospel of his son or the gospel of peace. All these gospels reveal the one called grace who was given to us out of the fullness of the Father's grace and through whom we have received grace upon grace. All those gospels we discussed were were talking about one individual, Jesus Christ who is the grace of God unto man. So what about when the Bible talks about the kingdom of God or the gospel of the kingdom? Is this a different gospel? Whenever you hear Jesus talking about the kingdom, you can substitute the word king because the kingdom is nothing without the king. Who is the king? It's Jesus. So when you read read the Bible and you come to the word grace, you can substitute the word Jesus. And when you are talking about the kingdom of God or the gospel of the kingdom, you can substitute the word Jesus because he is the kingdom. He is the king. For example, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This sounds like Jesus telling us we got to do something. But when you understand he's talking about the king and the kingdom, we are to seek first His kingdom and his righteousness, what he's saying is, seek me and seek my righteousness. And where do we find his righteousness? In the gospel of grace. Look at what Romans says. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as written, the righteous will live by faith. We live by the faith faith in Jesus Christ. And guess what Jesus has faith for? Your righteousness. You understand that? Jesus believes that you're righteous because of what he done. He finished it. When he says it is finished, he, he actually believed that he accomplished what he came to do. And we put our faith in Jesus, that we're righteous because of Jesus, And he has faith for our righteousness. We put our faith in Jesus for our healing because he's our healer. See, we get it backwards. We try to believe for healing. We're trying to believe, if I can just be good, if I can just be good, if I do this, this, and this. No, just focus on Jesus. He already sees you as good. He always sees you as righteous. He sees you as whole. The gospel declares your heavenly Father loves you and desires to give you good things. He wants to give you his love, forgiveness, righteousness, and acceptance along with all the blessings of heaven. And all these gifts are found in his son, Jesus. That's what the gospel is about. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, it says, And raised us up. He's talking about what Christ has done for us, Paul, as he's writing to the Ephesians. He's raised us up with him. With who? With Jesus. And seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all in Jesus. It's all with Jesus. When we preach the, preach the gospel of grace, we're proclaiming the exceeding riches of God's kindness that come to us through Jesus. What's the will of God? The will of God is throughout all eternity to show us the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ. Is that what you know about God? Did you, do you, did you know that that's the will of God for your life, that you would just... Rest in in the knowledge of his kindness and his surpassing riches in your life. That's amazing. It is to declare that apart from God, we are cursed and in, in need. But with Jesus, we are blessed indeed. It's amazing the things that Jesus did not say. Have you ever thought about that? I mean... You know, we, we, teach, we taught a whole message on, on healing. But do you realize that Jesus never once taught on healing? He never taught on healing. Why did he never teach on healing? Because he's the healer. 
So what did Jesus do? Instead of teaching on healing, what did he do? He healed. Good job. He healed. He acted in his nature. He acted in the nature of God. And Jesus never, ever once talked about grace. He never taught on grace. He never taught on the grace of God. Why? Because he is grace. His very actions demonstrated the grace of God. And there's probably no greater action of his grace that was seen every, anywhere than the sacrifice on the cross. That was the greatest demonstration of God's grace poured out on men. On the cross, he rescued humanity from sin and death and did for us what we were powerless to do in ourselves. That's grace. Jesus' whole life testified to the awesome grace of God. On the night he was born, a great company of angels appeared singing God's praises. Look at what they said in Luke. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. The favor of God, the grace of God rests on who? Who does it? Everyone. Because why? Jesus came. Jesus came. Do you worry that God is selective on who he gives his favor? Do you think, well, the pastor, you know, he's got a lot of God's favor on his life because I know him personally and he needs a lot of help. No, but, but he's, you know, or that TV evangelist or that, te- te- that te- teacher on TV or your favorite pastor that you listen to on the radio, whatever. God really has a lot of favor on their life. Do you you think maybe it's not so much that they have more of God's favor on their life, but maybe they just are believing that God's favor is on their life? God's favor is on you. The angels declared it. He declared peace to those on earth. Peace to those on earth. What is he talking about there? Is he talking about that there's not going to be any more wars or anything? If, If that was true... You know, there's small battles fought every day in people's homes, let alone what's happening throughout the earth. No. By Jesus coming to earth, he's saying it's his declaration that God is declaring peace with humanity. That God has never been against humanity. God has never been the enemy of man. He's always wanted to be the Savior. He's always wanted to be the Father. He always wanted to be the rescuer. From what? Sin. From sin. The angel said this good news was for all people. Are you a people? Then God's favor is for you. Let it rest on you and just be at peace. I love that there's a shirt advertising that you can buy on, on Facebook or something. I'm a whosoever. Go through, go through the, the Bible and, and read all the whosoever, whosoever, and realize that those promises that they're declaring, they're declaring to you because you're a whosoever. You're a whosoever. One of the ways that Jesus revealed grace was by proclaiming the unconditional love of his Father. Jesus didn't say, for God so loved the rule keepers and the do-gooders. He said, for God so loved the world. God loves everyone. God loves Jews. He loves Gentiles. He loves white folk. He loves colored folk. He loves Catholics. He loves Protestants. He loves cowboys and he loves the Indians. (laughs) He loves gays. He loves straights. He loves Democrats, Republicans, and even communists. If you are a sinner or a saint, God has no greater desire than for you to know how much he loves you. There's no one excluded from... Jesus' table. There's no one excluded from God's love and grace. Jesus demonstrated the radical love of God. This is another way that Jesus demonstrated grace. He hung out with anyone and everyone. He hung out with the religious uppity-ups, the crooked politicians, the wealthy, and the poor. If you would open your door to Jesus, he would come in and he would break bread with you. That's just the way that Jesus rolled. Anyone. Another way Jesus revealed the grace of God was by telling stories. In Matthew 
Chapter 13, verse 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered. So what's he talking about there? The kingdom of heaven. Who's the king? Jesus, right? Is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, I love this, the wording of this. This guy is excited about what's about to happen. He hid it. And again, again, and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. In verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. What's, I mean, we, that's a nice story, Jesus, but what's that, all, what's that about? And, and your religious mind will say, you know what? I think... What he's trying to tell me is that I need to sell everything and chase after Jesus. I, I, I think that, that I should just sell everything and, and buy that field. I should sell everything and, and purchase that, that pearl of great price. But then you realize that we don't have anything. And that Buying the kingdom of heaven would be like a homeless man receiving Bill Gates' wealth and him trying to pay it back with a bottle cap. And then you realize, oh my goodness, he's not talking about me doing anything at all. He's the merchant. And I'm, I'm the treasure. And he gave up everything for me, that's the grace of God. It blows you away. Another reason, another way that Jesus revealed grace was by showing unconditional forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, we all know this story. Some men brought a friend of theirs to Jesus, and they brought him to him, a paralyzed man laying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. That's, that's a, an amazing statement. First of all, he didn't show up to have his sins forgiven. He showed up to get healed. And there's nowhere in the story, there's nowhere in the story that it even infers. That word, infers? Infers infers that the man was wanting forgiveness for his sins. He didn't even ask for forgiveness. That's a lot, ain't it? You don't have to repent and show that you're sorry for your sins to get Jesus to forgive you. I know we're stepping on some, some sacred cows here. This man didn't ask for forgiveness. What did Jesus say, though? Your sins are Forgiven, without any confession, without even asking forgiveness, yet Jesus announced is that he was forgiven. That's unexpected. That's undeserved favor. That is grace. And for some of you, you probably, when I just said what I said, you probably acted like the religious leaders that said, who is this man that says he can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. Exactly. Exactly. It says, if Jesus came to show us two ways to live, you can live under the law where you can earn your blessing, or you can live under grace where you receive Jesus' blessing. It's your choice. Here we are back in the garden again. We have the tree of life over here, and we have the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What are you going to eat from? To the religious and self-righteous, Jesus emphasized the law. And we're going to see this more as we go through this teaching series. You want to go that route? Fine. But you go the whole way and be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. But to the sinners and the sick, Jesus revealed grace. He proclaimed things like, you are healed. You are forgiven. Peace be with you. The grace of Jesus does not sit well with our religious urge for self-improvement. Our self-improvement, our religious urge to obtain our own goodness blinds us from God's desire to amaze us with his. There's a lot of people that 
are bored with God, are bored with Jesus. And the reason why is because you're not focusing on his amazing grace. You're focusing on you. Religion demands that we try, but grace inspires us to trust. To trust Jesus. In John 3, 16, see, I just love taking these so well-known scriptures and, and, and just pulling more and more of God's revelation. In John three sixteen, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Period. That's the, that's the end. God gave... God gave. What conditions are to that? Jesus, to Jesus, Jesus attached to the gift of God. What condition does Jesus attach to this gift? None. The Son has already been given, correct? What requirements must be met before God will bless us? There are none. The blessings have been given. There's only one response to grace. The only thing that you can do to grace is respond. You respond to grace. You respond to the blessing. You don't do to receive. If you respond positive to what God has done, that's called faith. Faith is simply being persuaded that God is good and that he loves you. When we respond negatively, that's called unbelief. It's refusing to receive the the grace of a good God. Since we were made for love and grace, do you know that? Your maker is God and he knows what you need. It's actually harder to refuse it than than to receive it. Do you know why it's so hard for people to receive the gospel that a lot of people proclaim? Is because there's a lot of do-do in it. You got to do, do this, do that, do this, do that. You have to push away from the table of his abundance and resist the sweet aroma of his feast. And then, because you are still hungry... You have to work for food that doesn't satisfy. And that's called the flesh. That's called the works of the flesh. It takes a lot of effort to be an unbeliever. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, I am astonished. This is Paul writing to the church of Galatia. And he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting... Deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So there are other gospels that aren't gospels at all. There are things that people proclaim about God. There are things that people proclaim about Jesus that Paul says evidently are not gospels at all and they're a perversion. And the Galatians were buying into it. See, grace is is the life preserver of God. And if it's just grace being thrown to you, it'll save your life. But as soon as we start adding things to it, that life preserver turns into an anchor. And it can drown you. So what does it mean to pervert the gospel of Christ? The Greek word for the verb pervert can be translated as to turn around, kind of like repentance. It's like the negatives of repentance. A perverted gospel is a turned around gospel. It is a gospel which turns your focus away from Jesus onto something, something else. And a lot of times it's good things. If the gospel of of grace reveals Christ alone, then a perverted gospel is Christ plus something. It's the somethings added to the life preserver that will sink you. Here's just a few. 
human effort, perform, performance-oriented Christianity. Galatians 3.3, 3, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That right there is how I would say 100%, I'll go that far, has heard the gospel. We came to the altar. We cried our eyes out. We accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, and it was all by his love, his grace, his mercy. And then after that, we're saying, the next Sunday we're told, okay, now that you're a Christian, if you want to stay saved, you've got to do this and this and this and this. And we're perfecting ourselves by the flesh. Got to get busy for Jesus. Got to work for my salvation. We need to be good to get good. And if we don't do good, we're going to get whacked. Except you don't. And he won't. The work of the flesh is no substitute to the life, the life of the Spirit. The second one that we're going to look at is empty traditions and worldly philosophy like karma. See, we, we, we wouldn't say that we're new agey, but a lot of people believe in karma. Do good, get good. You know, you read the Bible, Abraham did bad things. He lied to the king, that the woman, Rebecca wasn't his wife, not Rebecca, Sarah wasn't his wife, right? Caused a lot of issues and trouble. And who, did, who, who reaped the percussions of it? The king. The one that God wasn't with. Sometimes you do wrong, and by God, through God's grace and his mercy, he protects you. Amen? I'm standing up here today because of his God's grace and his mercy. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to to Christ. What he's saying is according to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the elementary the elementary principles of the world. Do good, what's evil, do bad, reap what's bad. See, traditions are nice, but don't use them to exclude people from the love and grace that we all need. Philosophy God is like this. God's, God won't reject me because I'm basically a good a good person. A lot better than those hypocrites down at the church. Have you heard that before? At least I'm no worse than the guy sitting next to me. Yeah. Yet on your best, at your best, it's not good enough. All have fallen short of God's glory, and none of us stand except by grace alone. So what we need to do is shrug off those smelly rags of self-righteousness and put on the robe of his righteousness. Rules and regulations. Colossians chapter 2, verse 21 and 23. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, no, have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and serve the tr- treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. It's a heart issue, not a flesh issue. This is huge. This is the way that the Old Testament law dealt with holiness. It was all external. It all involved outward actions. But in the New Testament, the Lord changes the inside, our hearts. And then the outward actions change by a byproduct. Yet many New Testament believers haven't learned this. They are still focused on the outward things and neglect the inward things of the heart. See, Jesus talked to the Pharisees and he says, yeah, you say do not commit adultery, but you're looking at women with lust in your eyes. See, they were controlling the outward actions, but in their hearts they were still filled with sin. If you can change who you are in the inside and renew your mind to who you are in the inside, then the outward signs change. 
They say, well, we're, we're, not gonna, we're not killing anybody. Yeah, but you hate your brother. In your heart, you hate your brother. So you might be controlling. I mean, most of you, the only reason you haven't never killed nobody is because you're afraid to go to prison. Some of the thoughts that you've had towards people, was if, the, if people knew it, would be enough to send you to prison. It's the inward heart that needs to be changed. See, smoking, smoking will kill you. But it won't condemn you. It won't send you to hell. You might smell like you've been there, but it's not going to send you to hell. It won't. Drinking. Drinking in excess even is unhealthy. You'll do stupid stuff. Your spouse won't like you in the morning. You feel like garbage. You set a bad example for other people. They don't understand, don't know. But Jesus still loves you. It doesn't change how Jesus looks at you. Rules and regulations have the appearance of wisdom, but they don't work because we are not rule keepers by nature. We are children of God, not robots. We are creatures of faith, not formulas. We are designed to operate by relationships of trust, not rules. Another thing that creeps into the gospel is endless genealogies. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. Nor pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. So you think that you're sick because your grandfather was a Freemason. Or you're just an angry person because everybody's angry in your family. You look into your, your physical genealogy. I'm Irish. We got short tempers. You know, heart, heart disease is prevalent in my family. Genealogies. What you have to do is stop looking at your physical family and start looking at your spiritual family. Because weren't you adopted into a new family? Stop holding your future hostage to the past. Talk to your curses about Jesus because he was made a curse for you so that we might receive the blessing of Abraham. Number five, sin consciousness. This is one that a lot, a lot of people deal with. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Why can you go into the presence of God? Because we trust him. We're not going in there trusting ourselves. He says, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. If you are more conscious of your sin than you are of your righteousness, of Jesus' righteousness, you are saying Jesus' sacrifice is insufficient. The good news is that God's grace is greater than your sin. Sin is not kryptonite to God. And when you confess your sin, when, when you come out and say to God, you know, I screwed up, it wasn't when he figured out that you did it. He didn't go through the garden and say, Adam, where are you? Because he didn't know where Adam was. He wanted Adam to realize where he was. His wor worthiness is greater than your unworthiness. And listen to me. You will fall. You will screw up. There will be times in your life where you don't, you're not walking out your true nature in Jesus Christ. And if you allow sin consciousness to have its way in your life, it will destroy your relationship with God. Not because God sees you any different. See, God is full of faith. When he sees you, he sees Jesus. And he's never going to change his mind on that. It's because you'll, you'll hide just like Adam. You'll hide from the presence of God. And here it tells us that we should have our consciences sprinkled with the blood of Christ. 
that our guilty consciences are gone. And we should go straight into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting, trusting in him. A perverted gospel will burden you with weights that diminish your trust in Jesus. The more things you add to the gospel, the more things that you start looking at yourself, and the less you trust Jesus. We are to be Christ-conscious, not self-conscious. Look at what Paul says to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. We've all heard that. Better be careful. You don't want to fall from God's graces. We don't want to fall from the grace of God. And we've always tied it to you doing something wrong, you sinning. If you sin too much pretty soon, God's grace is just going to be cut off. You're going to be cut off from Christ, and you're going to fall from God's grace. And that's not what Paul said at all. That's not what the Bible declares at all. The Bible says when you go back to the law, when you add to the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ, things that you must do to earn God's favor, you have severed yourself from Christ and you become your own Christ. You become your own Savior. And you have fallen from the grace of God. Why? Because Jesus is the grace of God. To the degree that you're focusing on your sins, your behavior, your labor, you are not focused on Jesus. You have been turned around. You've been perverted. And you have fallen from grace. But we need to preach the whole gospel, people say. What is the whole gospel? I mean, how you answer this question right here, the whole gospel, what is the whole gospel? How you answer this question reveals much about your faith in Christ. See, even as we've started this, this, this series, I, I had a, a person of Israel came up to me and says, you know what, that message was really good. It just had a few holes in it. And really what they're saying is, it was really, really good, but you forgot to tell people what they needed to do. It's, it's not just about Jesus. You have this whole Bible here. It's not, yeah, the whole Bible's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We've seen what it looked like to live under the law. They had 2,000 years of living under the law. Thank God we do not live under the law. We've got to preach the whole counsel of God. What they mean is you should be telling people they need to do stuff. They need to repent. They need to confess. They need to turn from sin. Work. Tithe. Give. Do you need to do all that stuff? Yeah. But it's in response to what God has done. Not to get God to do. We need to earn the gifts and the graces of God. That's like on Christmas morning, the kids all open up the Christmas presents. And the mom and dad say, okay, kids, did you enjoy everything? Yeah. Go get your piggy banks. We're going to break them open, and you're going to pay me now for Christmas. You're going to pay me for these gifts. It's no longer a gift. Am I saying we don't need to repent and confess and turn from sin? Those things are important, but they're not any, they don't have anything to do with the gospel. The gospel is not an invitation for you to do. It's an announcement of what God has done. Those who worry <clears throat> that the whole gospel is not being preached are basically saying there's more to the gospel than grace alone. In other words, grace is not enough. It's like telling your spouse, I married you for love. But to stay married, you have to serve me, you have to give me money, and you have to tell everybody how great I am. What a loveless thing to say. But that's what we tell people. That God loves you. That Christ, Christ wants to marry you. He wants to become one with you. 
But if you don't serve in the church, if you don't tithe, if you don't go out and evangelize, Christ will leave you. And that's what we've been telling people. What a loveless thing to say to God's church and God's people and to Christ's bride. Even when we're unfaithful, he remains faithful. What exactly is the whole gospel? The Bible gives us a straight answer, but religion never does. Instead, religion says, it's complicated. You got to learn a lot more. You got to do a lot more. There's things we got to do. There's things we got to learn. So, but the gospel is, isn't complicated. The whole gospel is not complicated. The Bible actually gives us a definition of the whole gospel. Look, Paul told the Ephesians elders, he says, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God in Acts chapter 20, verse 27. Some translations say the whole will of God, the whole counsel and the whole will and the whole gospel are all the same thing because God's will and purposes are always good news. So what is the whole counsel of God that Paul proclaimed? He tells us three verses earlier. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish the course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. That's it. Just grace. You're thinking, just grace? Yes, just grace. And nothing but. Not grace plus your confession, not grace plus your repentance, just grace. Here is the last thing that Paul said to the Ephesians. Do you, re- do you realize then that this is a proclamation of what God has done? And your repentance is just your response to, to faith in that. It's just a response. Your repentance didn't get God to forgive you or to bless you or to love you. He's already done it. All your repentance has, is showing is that you have received it. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, he says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. What is the word of his grace? It's not the Bible. It's Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word of God who builds up and qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints. Jesus is the living word who testifies of the grace of God. Jesus is grace. To preach the gospel, the whole gospel, and nothing but the gospel of God, we must preach Jesus and nothing else. Jesus is both the will of God and the word of his grace. So how can we get this wrong? How do we we not preach the whole gospel? By leaving bits out? No. By adding bits in. The grace of God is perfect and cannot be improved upon. Anything we add... detracts from its perfection. What do gospel additives look like? They're called prayer, fasting, Bible studies, spiritual disciplines, Christian duty, works of service, ministry, self-sacrifice, helps, missions, outreach, submission, and so on. In the hands of graceless religion, these good things become death-dealing burdens. You're reading all that list up there and you say, what do you mean? I thought that's what God wanted us to do. More than God wanting you to do, do those things is his desire for you to want to do them. Amen. If you're being told you must do these things to receive favor, the favor of God, his love, his acceptance, his forgiveness, healing, provision, deliverance, etc., You are not getting the whole gospel. 
you're getting a diluted and contaminated gospel. Grace is not part of the gospel, but the whole of it. Any part of the message that is not grace is not good news. Anything that detracts you from Christ and his finished work has the potential to turn you around and lead you away from the path of life. Reject it. Anything that is not Christ and Christ alone, reject it. Insist on the good stuff, the top-shelf gospel, which is pure grace. With no mix, just straight up. We don't even want any ice cubes in it to dilute it. The good stuff. Commit yourself to God in the word of his grace, who is Jesus Christ. So which gospel? Which gospel saves? What is the gospel? It's grace, the gospel of Christ. And it's got the power to save your soul and bring all the blessings and favor of God along with it. And it's good news, and it should make you very, very happy that God loves us this much. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that everything that we need is found in Jesus Christ. And not only is it found in Jesus Christ, but we're found in Jesus Christ. And if we're in Jesus Christ, we have everything we need. All the promises of God find their yes, and they find their amen in Christ. Father, we thank you that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places and that your desire for humanity is for them just to sit back and receive the riches of your blessings, the riches of their inheritance, that they would just receive it in the grace of Christ throughout all the ages to come. Father, help us to to realize that we have the favor of God on us because God dwells in us. We are, everywhere we go, everywhere we put our foot, Jesus is putting his foot. In the workplace, we no longer see us. We no longer see ourselves as a slave to, to, to our employer, but we see ourselves as a blessing looking some, going somewhere to happen. We understand that, that God is our provider. He is our prosperer. He provides for us, and his favor rests heavily on us. In our homes, God's peace and joy and love and forgiveness dwells richly in our homes. Everywhere we go, whether it's in the Smoky Mountains, enjoying the beauty of your creation, or if it's in the shadow, valley of the shadow of death, we will not fear, for you are with us. We love you. We praise you. And we rest in the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Amen, church. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.